follow the servant. Follow the servant. Mark is all about how Jesus is a king, and yet he's this humble servant. And guess what? We, his people, got to be like servants. Servant is not above his master. And, and Paul, last week we, we ended our, our um, series in Galatians, and Paul wrote this short, emotional, not super cleaned up little book called Galatians. And Mark is similar. Mark is the, the oldest account of Jesus' life, the biography of Jesus that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Galatians and Mark, they're like the dashboard confessional tracks of the New Testament, right? Like they're just real emotional. They're really right in there, right in the action. And every one of the accounts of Jesus' life has a different type of personality. The, the, in ancient um, art, there is this thing called the tetramorph the tetramorph, and it comes from this vision in the prophet Ezekiel where he sees this angel being that has the face of an ox on one side, of an eagle on another side, of a lion on the other, and of a man on the other. It's called the tetramorph. And in the fourth century, this man, Jerome, he was reflecting on the four Gospels, and Jerome translated the Bible from the original Greek, the New Testament, into the Latin that the people spoke of that day. And it's, it's really interesting how human nature is, right? Because he translated the Bible so that the people could read it, and yet, not that long ago, People were still reading that Bible in Latin in the 70s. And for hundreds of years, it was cut off from the people. Here's the thing we got to know. God's truth doesn't change, and yet the way we hear it does change. The, the way we understand it, the way it can be communicated to you and I. And God wants to get your attention, and he wants to speak in a way that you can hear him and you can respond to him. It's not just to nod along while the preacher's up here. Maybe he's even saying it in English, but you're nodding along and you don't have a clue what he's talking about. God wants to speak in your language. And Jerome, reflecting on this vision in Ezekiel, as many others have, he said, you know what, Matthew? Matthew's the man. Because it starts off with the genealogy. And it really seeks to prove that Jesus is the son of man. And, and Luke is the calf. Because it presents Jesus as the sacrifice. And John, oh, the gospel of John, he's the eagle. Because verse 1, John has given you his interpretation, <laughs> right? Like John is not hiding anything. He's like in the beginning, the logos of God. <laughs> 
He's saying, he's saying what makes sense of everything is Jesus. He starts off right with that. And he so, takes you off and you fly up to heaven with John. And you get a heavenly perspective of Jesus' life. But Mark, there's only one left. There's only one of those images left. And Mark shows us Jesus' face in a lion. Roaring in the desert with prophetic power. There was a, a bishop in Rome from the first century named Papias, and he knew John the Apostle, John who lived the longest of all the apostles of Jesus, and he carried this, this tradition down to us. He says, this is a quote from Papias, the bishop. He says, the elder used to say, and he's talking about John, he's saying, Mark, in his capacity as Peter's interpreter, wrote down accurately as many things as he recalled from memory, though not in an ordered form, of the things either said or done by the Lord. You know, when you read Luke, you may wonder why there's four Gospels. Why do you read Luke, and Luke has a different order of things than Mark? Well, Luke tells you right from the beginning, like, I wanted to put down things in an orderly way. I wanted, and he tells you who was king. He tells you who was the governor of the area. He tells you all types of details, who's in charge. He's, he's rooting Jesus into history. But, but Mark, Mark was a child when Jesus rose from the dead. He was only a child. But he followed around Elder Peter and the Apostle Peter shared with Mark the things he remembered about his Lord. And of course, you know, we tend to share things about the people that we admire that we ourselves sort of are bent towards. And Peter was a man of action. Peter got things done, even if that getting things done got him into trouble. Even if he was putting his foot in his mouth and he was cursing out people and he was trying to get violent and all that stuff and you know, if you're familiar with Peter's life, you know what I'm talking about. Peter was a man of action. We know Jesus was a man of action. And this biography of Jesus is going to be quick and full of action. And unlike some of the others, is going to have a lot less of his teaching and a lot more of what he did. Without a lot of interpretation. To leave you and I to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. Because at the end of the day... That is the most important thing about us. What are you doing with Jesus Christ? What are, you, what are you doing with him? Mark starts by quoting the prophets, Malachi and Isaiah. And Malachi, you know, that's the last book of the Old Testament. It's about 400 years before uh, Mark is, is writing these words down. And Isaiah is about 700 years before Christ. One of them was right before the exile was about to happen. Isaiah, one of them was, Malachi was after the exile had already happened. And you might be like, man, I'm zoning out. This is History Channel stuff, right? But see, this is really important. It's not just History Channel stuff. God's people were scattered, sent as slaves, had no sense of identity, no sense of nationality. They were currently being run over by the Romans. They were looking for dignity. 
They were looking for power. They were looking for someone to save them, someone to bring back their glory, their shine that they had with King David. And that's the context that we hear Mark write in. Here's the good news about Jesus. You know, God's people, the Jewish people, they're a small group of people in the world. And they've never had a significant amount of power in the sense of like a world empire. And yet, our morality and the way we even count time, and even if you don't say A.D., you know, in the year of our Lord, you say the common era, you're still setting your watch to the time that Jesus was born. <laughs> whether you want to or not. Three of the world's major religions come out of these people and it shaped the world that we live in even if you reject it. But if you were like me, I just never really thought about it at all. You know? Like that's so long ago and that's tradition and I just didn't think about it. You know, yeah, it shaped the world, but those like, you know, we could have been born somewhere else. There's other traditions, whatever. Um, what do we see in this text? We see that he quotes Malachi and Isaiah, squishes their quotes together. This is a common thing in the New Testament. The Jewish people would have known their Bible so well. <laughs> they didn't have to say chapter, verse, author, they just start rattling off the prophecies. <laughs> and um, what do we see? We see a voice crying out in the wilderness. We see this man that it's prophesied about that he would come, that there would be this process in the Messiah coming. There would be this process, and they would have to undergo what, what even today is called mikvah, the, the, the ceremonial washing Right, we call it baptism. And and if you were a very religious Jew, you understood that you had to ceremonially wash yourself if you became ceremonially unclean. You ate the wrong food, you spent the time with the wrong people, you touched a dead body, the list goes on and on and on. But even more importantly, there was a ceremony for those who would be converts, those who were not only ceremonially unclean, but born unclean. Those who were outside of the family, outside of the tribes of Israel. And to become a Jew, you would have a ceremonial cleaning. Catch this. This is radical. This guy comes out of the bush and he's got a camel whatever belt and he's eating locusts and honey and he's telling people, you got to do mikvah. And you know what? He's not saying you got to do mikvah because you broke the Sabbath. He's not saying you got to do mikvah because your ceremony unclean. He's saying, listen, you're an outsider. You think you were born and you're the children of Abraham. You're an outsider. I'm making way for the king. There's somebody that's coming. I can't even tie his sandals. 
he just says, you are just unclean. And that's the first step before you can know anything about Jesus. I said, what you do with Jesus is the most important thing that you're going to do at all in life. And what is, what is the first thing that happens before we even get to Jesus? We get this prophet telling us we're unclean. A few couple weeks ago, Dylan was ta- telling me, he's like, he's got like, Almost a couple dozen youth in town. He's hanging out with them, leading youth group. And, you know, if you scroll along in the social media stuff, you're like, man, like the youth are in trouble. Like they're depressed. There's like a lot of stuff about just not feeling at home, not feeling right, being sad. And he says, listen, you got to agree with me that you're not okay. You got to agree with me that you're messed up. That's the first step. And that you you know what, we care about your life, and I want you to care about your life. And Jesus cares about your life. That's the first step. There was a a preacher who was a mentor to me, somebody I looked up to a lot. And he told me that, you know, hey, I preached a sermon. And after I preached a sermon, someone came up to me, and he said to me, I've been listening to your sermons lately, and i got to tell you, that I'm beginning to think that maybe I'm not a Christian. You know what he told him? He said, that's real good because you're halfway to becoming a real Christian now. You have to start with the reality that you're unclean if you're going to have Jesus clean you. You have to start with the reality that you're not okay, that you're screwed up, and you need a savior. See, our problem is we want God to make our way straight for us. So we want him to fix our lives, straighten it out, heal us, comfort us, save us, and we got it all backwards. John the Baptist reminds us, now you got to make your way straight for him. John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness all wild-eyed saying, no, you straighten your stuff up because the king is coming. You're unclean. Last week I preached uh, Galatians 6. We finished that up, and like I said, we only focused about 5-10% of that passage because God's word is rich. And there's a lot there. Let me read these words from there, though. It really applies. Verse 3. If any of you thinks there's something when they're not, they're deceiving themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. For each one should carry their own load. Listen, when you're the victim of all your stories, and you know this, like you've been around people like this and you've been this person. Like every time you tell a story about somebody you used to be with or some job you used to have, like some people, like I'm just luck unlucky. Every boss I get is a, a you know. <laughs> every boss that I get is horrible. Well, maybe, Maybe if the last 10 bosses you got were jerks, maybe the issue isn't all those bosses. (laughs) Every relationship I had, oh, I just get crazy women. Maybe, just maybe, it's not just the 
10 crazy women that you had, right? Or, 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 or I just, you know, crazy boyfriend, same thing. Maybe there's something wrong with you. If you're always the victim of your stories, or on the other hand, if you're always the hero of your story, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I did mess up this and that, but it's because I had so many things stacked up against me. And actually, if you knew all the stuff that I went through, you'd be so proud. I'm like amazing. I'm so resilient. I've been doing this. I've been bearing this load alone and nobody knows. And listen, if you're always the hero and the victim, you're what Paul says in verse 4 in Galatians, you're deceived. In other words, you're lying to yourself. It's the person who says, it's like the person who says, you know what, I'm going to do recovery from addiction, from substance, you know, whatever it is, crack, heroin, alcohol, pills, whatever. It's like the person who says, I'm going to do that by myself. I'm going to do that alone. And that's called a plan to just never do it. That, that's just, I'm not going to do it. Here's the beauty of a baptism. You admit what you really are and what really needs to happen in you. And you lay down your life. You lay down your right. Here's another thing. You lay down your right to speak about anyone else as other. This is something that was so radical for the people that John the Baptist was speaking to. It's not about the nations. It's not about the pagans. It's not about other people and what they're doing. It's about you. And we all do this. We all, we all grab some pride from somewhere. It's our culture. It's our family. Our family has a certain way of doing things because we're decent people. Or it's our sexuality, whether it's like I'm the man, I got all these conquests, or it's like I'm pure and I waited, or, it's your, or whatever. It's your, your, or you're from your race, you know what I mean, which is nothing, right? It's true what you are, but it don't make you have any kind of supremacy over anybody else. or your religious opinions, or if you're stable financially, right? If you're even, it's, there's levels to stable financially, right? There's levels to it. There's, there's like stable in the sense that, you know what I mean? Like, like we got lights on and we eaten. <laughs> but, you know, when I go to the ATM, like it's a mystery what's in there. I never know how much is in there. <laughs> And then, and then there's like, you know, on the street, but whatever stability we do get, how quick are we to look at other people and be like, they're just so reckless and foolish. I got my stuff together. At least I'm trying. We grab anything we can to be proud. And when we are baptized, see, Jesus wants you to come to him, not just with the things that you are messed up about. He doesn't want you to just come to him with the things that you want him to fix. But he wants you to come the whole package and give up all of it. 
He wants you to come with the things that you're really proud about. The things that the Jewish people were like, we have the heritage. We're the children of Abraham. We've got all kinds of stability. We ain't like the pagans. And to be baptized is to say, forget all that. You start with Jesus naked like every other person. There's no difference. You're unclean. Not just in the things you're willing to meet God with and ask him to help you for. But for the things that you're proud about. The things that you think you're doing well in. You just, you just collapse into Jesus. You just say, you know what? I give up being better or worse than anybody else. And I'm yours. You're king. You're my savior. And then we see in verses 8 to 11 the answer to this question. Because I keep saying, you know, we're unclean. But here's the thing. Who is clean? And there is an answer to that question. There's an answer to that question who is clean. And his name is Jesus. And he comes up to be baptized. And he's the only person in history who didn't need to be baptized. He wasn't unclean. He didn't need to do it. But he did it anyway. He identified with us and what happens is the heavens open up and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit is saying to God the Son I love you I love you this points to something even greater in verse 1 we see that that Mark talks about Jesus Christ we get confused we think Christ was Jesus' last name like I'm Joe Marlin right but that's not what it is and in fact, in the culture of the day, he would have been like something like Yeshua bar Yosef. Because, you know, he was Yeshua of his father, Joseph. Right? But now, see, Jesus, it's Jesus, al Messiah. It's Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, in Greek, the Christos, the Christ. He is the anointed one. And then Mark continues, the son of God. Mark starts his gospel off right here. And he ends it the same way we'll see a long time from now amen we'll see when we get to the end of mark that the roman soldier pierced jesus side and he started bleeding and what does the soldier do he freaks out and he says surely you are the son of god our lord's baptism is a symbol for his entire humiliation see the son of god became the son of man, that we could become the sons and daughters of God. We are unclean, we're orphaned, we're lost. And here's the picture, John, not even worthy to tie Jesus' shoes. John, in the wilderness with the animal fur, eating honey and locusts. John, with the capital P, prophet role that God gave him, calls out into the wilderness. And we are still calling out into the wilderness. See, our tradition, we're non-denominational, and we have people that serve even in leadership that come from different church backgrounds, but that doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, like the Pope of Gloucester City and, you know, I have no heritage, no background at all. So, so I am trained, I'm credentialed, and you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I got, went to school and all that, and, you know, have to have a certain standard of what I teach and all that. And I'm with what's known as the Congregationalists. And the Congregationalists 
are a spiritual tradition that goes back to the time when people were running out of places like England because they were getting persecuted. And they set up camps in, in New England. And they had this concept, they had this idea that like God had given them an errand into the wilderness. Uh, me and Dylan were actually at a church, one of the oldest churches in the country called Free Christian. And it's called Free Christian because it was the first church that stood up against slavery over in New Andover. And um, there's a lot of ugly things that you could say in the tradition as well, like every single group of Christians. You know why? Because it's made up of a bunch of people who are unclean, who are messed up like anything else. But here's what I'm getting at. They had this idea of the, being on an errand into the wilderness, that God was up to something, that through them, God was going to establish his kingdom. And I believe that we're still called to this. And the wilderness might be the fishing pier down here in Proprietor's Park, your stoop with your neighbors on your block, throwing the football around, um, in the bars, in the basement watching a football game. It might be at your job where you work. It, it might be over at Crescent Park, over in the hotels. It might be out in further towns like Blackwood and Pine Hill and other places that our people come from, over the bridge in Philadelphia. The wilderness is called the wilderness, not because you can see animals. The wilderness is called the wilderness because it's not been tamed by anybody. But who's the real king of the wild? It's the lion. It's the lion. And this is the gospel of Jesus. The king has come to tame the wilderness. So this week, we're about to have Halloween. You know, we're about to have trick-or-treating. We're not down with every single thing that people are doing on Halloween. But you know what we aren't? We aren't scared. <laughs> we're not scared. Jesus is the king of the wilderness. And we can be out there, and we can meet people where they're at, and we can hug them and talk to them, invite them to the stuff we're doing for Kids Club, for church, and all of that, because God has sent us on an errand into the wilderness. But there's greater darkness that happens more than just people getting, you know, getting dressed up and getting free candy and whatever else. There's abuse, neglect, addiction, apathy, stubborn doubt that just doesn't seem to go away, our sense of self-sufficiency where we don't want... God's help, but we're going to see in Mark, we're going to see this king, he casts out demons. He heals the sick. Like next week we're going to see, he just starts casting out demons and healing people. He's not scared to get dirty. He's not scared to touch the leper. He's not scared to touch the untouchable. He's not scared to be sentenced to death for us. And every one of us ought to be, this is what I'm saying, every one of you needs to be down by the Jordan right now, ready to be washed clean, ready for mikvah, ready to know, hey, I'm unclean. And if you feel heavy tonight, and you're like, I came to church and great, like it was exactly like I thought, pastor telling me I'm unclean the whole night. <laughs> Here's the freeing thing. If you're unclean, first of all, welcome to this little club called All of Humanity. <laughs> Here's another thing. 
if you want to be a Christian, you don't get to just keep the peace front and hide and lie to yourself. I need you, and I'm speaking especially to those who are members here, who are attending here. I need you to own your sin. Like, I need you to admit you were wrong. I need you to hate it, and I need you to fight it. When we talk about victory over sin, when we talked about growing in love, growing in faith, when we talk about, you know, all the virtues flowing up in us, okay, that's a different baptism. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying you need to know what your work is and what God's work is. And your work is to humble yourself. And part of humbling yourself is like, I'm showing up at church. I'm rearranging my week, and I'm making this a priority. It means I'm going to be teachable. I'm going to walk into these things. I'm going to serve. This is so freeing. Don't, don't think just because you don't experience joy that, like, it's not worth it. Don't think, like, I don't feel like I'm becoming a more loving person. Don't think that your efforts aren't worth it. God has given you an assignment to do, to show up and serve and to be humble. God's work in us is 100% God's work, right? He gives us the gift of faith. He gives us love and hope. But we start here, we humble ourselves. For some of you, this might literally mean start by literally in the weeks to come come up here and be baptized with some water and say I'm unclean I want to be with Jesus I want to be his disciple I want to follow him but be a woman of action be a man of action be a lion be like Jesus Amen